Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. The reading today is from John chapter 6, verses 15 to 24. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. They also saw that Jesus had not got into the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away. Then some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, in this time of silence and reflection, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. Because when we're honest with ourselves, we realize there are actually so many voices shouting at us of, products to purchase or goals to achieve or areas in which we need to strive and we need to do more, be more. And if you can't look good, at least don't look bad. And we're exhausted. We have those internal critic voices that tell us we're not going to amount to anything. And why try? Because we're going to fail just like we did before. Maybe that voice of a parent or other grown-up from, from childhood saying, you, you are not going to amount to anything. And so we carry that shame. Or just the voice of apathy, just why try? Or the voices of entertainment, and addiction, that keep us moving until we're scattered and truly becoming disintegrated. And then there's your voice. The voice that never leaves or forsakes. The voice that says to each of us, I see you and I know you. In all the ways you are a wonderful person, in all the ways you're not that good of a person at all, I see it all and I love you. 
and I move toward you in the person and work of my son, Jesus Christ. Help us to experience your love now. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed. And as we consider the reality of the storm and what it means to walk with you through any storm, would you awaken in us, would you kindle in us a life that we could otherwise never know? We pray these things for our good and for your glory in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I love any story that has to do with the ocean or with water. Not too long ago on one of my days off, the kids were at school and because I work weird hours, I work every Sunday morning, I try to take off Monday mornings and I, t I went down to the end of the Ocean Beach Pier with the salty sea spray coming upon my face, the very end of the pier, which by the way is the longest concrete pier on the west coast, so way to go Ocean Beach, which is where I was born and raised. And I went out to the end and I brought the book, Old Man of the Sea. And I just wanted to like, imagine the experience of being in this little boat in the midst of all the water. I'm mesmerized by the boats that are on San Diego's harbor, particularly the Star of India. Every so often, my buddy Kenny and I go for this great bike ride around the bay, and we start in Coronado. It's like 24 miles around, but you end at the Star of India. And we've befriended the chief rigmaster for the Star of India. This guy, Jim, has been the rigmaster for 30 years or 40 years. And everything you can imagine about what Jim looks like is probably true if you're picturing Old Man of the Sea that's been on the oldest iron-hulled sailing ship in the world for several decades. Scars and beard and stories and matter-of-factness and sharp eyes that can see anything. And he knows the entire rigging of the ship. You can picture the ship. Miles and miles of cables and sails and all of this. And so sometimes I just go on the ship when no one else is there and I'll read some of the exhibits and I'll just, I'll imagine what it's like to be on this ship at sea. In the research, I've read about people who've been born on the ship, people who've died on the ship, people who've been married on the ship, people who have considered mutiny on the ship. But the things that capture my attention the most are picturing the storms from the ship. Because looking at the size and scale of this ship, it's hard to imagine a wave that could actually threaten it. And then you realize that once you get out into the wild, once you get out into the open ocean, all bets are off and things are uncontrollable, especially in a storm. I came across this part where author Sebastian Younger is talking about the ship, the Andrea Gale in the, in the perfect storm. And he asks the question, what, how do men act on a sinking ship? Do they hold each other and cry? Do they pass the whiskey? What do you do on a sinking ship when you know it's going down? This is the situation Jesus' closest friends were in in the passage we read today. But that storm also overlays as a metaphor for the storms that occur in our own lives. The Bible will always come to you, not from a land far away in a time long ago and there's no connection to your life today. It will come to you today and ask you really important questions. Questions like, how do you, how do you respond when your life feels like it's taking on water? How do you respond when things are not getting better, but getting worse, and there's no end in sight? How do you respond when you just can't see the daylight? 
and you know you should be. But all you can see are the waves. Whether it's the way that you feel when you turn on your news feed in the morning, I mean, how many more days are we going to open up whatever your browser is and watch Russia amassing troops and arms and bombers on the edge of Ukraine while just saying publicly, we have no intention of invading Ukraine? How many days are we going to see this? And it raises anxiety. It, it reminds us that we traffic in a world that is uncontrollable and often dishonest. Or we look in our own country where one particular political party begins to call the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol a legitimate act of political discourse. And then others in the own party have to come out and say, hold on, no, I was there. They tried to kill me. This is not legitimate public discourse. We live in storms. And that's globally and nationally, but really personally. Just when you look in the mirror, and you think about the ways that your own life feels like it has a tendency to come undone. Did you ever notice that in any aspect of your life that's important, your closest relationships, your career, your health, if you do nothing about it, if you don't work at it, does it naturally get better? <laughs> no. I mean, this is the second law of thermodynamics, right? Entropy, decay, all things move toward chaos. You're trying to hold your life together. And then there's that voice when you look in the mirror that says, if, they, if the other people around you really knew how little you have it together, they'd laugh at you or they'd run. How do you deal with that feeling in your life? Do you just give in and say, the storm is so great and so big, I'm just going to get swallowed up by it. So you become cynical or bitter or fatalistic. You just kind of let it take you with it. You give up. Or do you minimize it and say, it's not that bad, it's not that bad, it's not that bad, while there's a part of you that's dying inside? Or do you avoid it? Do you medicate it? Do you try to drown out that sense of buzzing fear in your bones with more entertainment or more addiction or more shopping or more alcohol or more food or more work or more exercise or more of anything? How do you deal with the storm? Now, the Bible is honest about the storms in life. The Bible comes to you and does not claim that if you believe and trust Jesus, you will no longer have storms or difficulties in your life. It's a guard against abusive and toxic spirituality that says if you just believe in the right way and have enough faith in your life, then everything will go your way. And therefore, if everything's not going your way, it just means you're not praying right. The Bible says that's nonsense. These people loved Jesus and he loved them and they still experienced a storm. The Bible does say that there will be storms in your life. I, don't, I mean, I don't have to prove that you know there are storms in your life. There will be difficulties in your life. And Jesus promises, I will walk toward you in the midst of the storm and I will walk with you and I'll even get in the boat. I mean, let's examine what happens here. Let's just look at this through three lenses. The lens of the storm itself, the disciples and their reaction to it, and then what this sign actually points to. Because remember, we're looking through the different signs in the Gospel of John. And a sign always has value in that it points to something else, right? There's a great new sign. As an Enneagram 7, I like this sign. It's just down 30th Street, about four blocks, and it says, Breweries, 
restaurants, cafes, and fun. And there's an arrow pointing ahead. I love our neighborhood. Now, the value of that sign is diminished if I stand in front of the sign all afternoon and just look at the sign. I need to follow where the sign is pointing to if I want to get to all that fun. John is giving us, he's laying down these signs. He says at the end of his, of his gospel, Jesus did so many things that if all the things he did were written down, I suppose all the libraries in the world could not contain the stories. But I included these stories so that you could come to know and believe that he is the son of God and you can have true life in him. These signs all point to something much bigger. So we'll look at that at the very end. But first, the storm. One principle that anybody who spends a lot of time in the water, especially the ocean or a big sea like the Sea of Galilee here, they will say, you never enter the same water twice. Because the weather systems, the currents, the topography of the bottom, it all changes. There's a place where we used to jump off the cliffs in Ocean Beach growing up, this great cliff jumping spot. Kids, if you're watching, you should totally not do it. It's a mistake I made. Never do it. It was so much fun. And I remember uh, one time we were, we were jumping at a spot we knew was clear down below, and so we didn't check. No need to check. We know this spot. But there had been a big storm. The storm was so big and powerful, it moved a boulder into the area where we jumped, just several feet below the surface. And one of us jumped and really got injured. Storms make the water unpredictable. The people I swim with in La Jolla Cove, many are retired Navy SEALs and world record holders for swimming long distances, from Long Beach to Catalina Island. I mean, just the wildest swimming acumen ever. I, I'm amazed. And still, in these winter wave days, you will find them for five minutes before we get into the water that they have been swimming in for 40 years, that they know like the back of their hand, that they could draw the map for, they could be a guide for, some of them have written articles on, they will still observe the surf for five minutes to see what it's doing specifically today. Now in the Bible, the water, I mean just imagine with all the technology we have now, with satellite imagery and buoys and thermal sensors and we can understand rip currents better than ever, back then they knew that the ocean was untamable and therefore it was often a picture of chaos. To go into the ocean was the place to go to uncontrollability. You, know, you see many of these old maps, you know, back when people believed the earth was flat and at the end of it there would be dragons. Because they just, you know, that was a way of saying when you get past the horizon, you're going to die. And Jesus' disciples are in the uncontrollable, unpredictable chaos of the water. And they're going to die. I want you to feel that. Now I could go on and on about how the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. And these amazing gusts can cause these flash storms that will erupt quickly and violently and to this day there are ancient ships on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee that are constantly being found. But I also want you to hold, do you remember what Jesus' closest followers' day jobs were? They were fishermen. By, like this is a group of a, with a lot of fishermen in it. They weren't all fishermen, but at least there's enough that you can go, hey, have you ever been through something like this? Have you ever seen something like this? What do we do now? Stick close to him. He knows how to handle his, himself with this sort of a boat, whatever. And they're terrified. You know, I always say when I fly in a small plane, and small planes are just so bumpy, and I don't know, I guess I discovered this 20 years ago. I, I internally want to panic pretty quickly when a plane gets bumpy at 15,000 feet. So I learned, don't panic unless you see the pilot panicking, because the pilot's used to all this stuff. 
before Jesus gets to the boat, the pilots are panicking in the midst of this storm. And storms can also compound when they reveal other obstacles or difficulties in our life. Here's what I mean by that. There's this rock. I call it shipwreck rock. It is between the coast of San Diego and Cabo San Lucas on the west, on the west of the coast that is notorious for sinking ships in storms because it lies several meters below the surface of the ocean and when ships get into the big peaks and troughs of the waves, a huge rock that is sharp, that was previously hidden by the surface of the water, hits that trough of the wave, the ship slides down and gets pierced like a harpoon, and they sink. The waves reveal an obstacle that makes everything that much more uncontrollable. And so maybe you go through the storm of experiencing difficulty in a relationship or loss, or uncertainty in your career, or feeling like you're just stagnant right now because the whole world is on semi-pause because of this prolonged pandemic. That's a storm. But then you turn to things like addictions that promise to help you, to comfort you, to console you, or at least entertain you until we can figure something out. That becomes shipwreck rock. And the storm has revealed something deeper in your life, and now you're coming undone. Where are you experiencing shipwreck rock right now? Or sometimes we have, as we described earlier, the perfect storm, a compounded storm. That storm occurred in October of 1991 when the Andrea Gale was about 500 miles off of New England in the Atlantic Sea. And there was a cold front coming down from the Canadian border, and there was a high-pressure front that was coming from southeastern Canada. And they were beginning to create the perfect storm right when tropical energy from Hurricane Grace came up to add all the energy that it needed to turn into something that no one could live through. And I think right now, sometimes, it can feel like, just with the everyday pressures of staying afloat, and then you have social pressure. Maybe you're not getting along with somebody in your family. Maybe some of the people that you thought you agreed with on things in this world, now you're realizing you actually, you, you not only disagree on really important things, but you're beginning to wonder who they are and how they could believe the way that they do. Maybe in the midst of this season, you're feeling more alone. And then you have health difficulties or difficulty in your career. And it becomes this perfect storm. And you feel like you're underwater. Scripture is honest that life often feels like a storm. And the question is, where is God in the midst of the storm? What is Jesus doing while these people are terrified and going underwater? He is moving toward them. He's walking toward them. Which brings us to the disciples. Who are in this storm, they've been rowing for four miles. That's a long, that's a long way to row. And they're losing ground. There are very few things more terrifying than being in a rip current because you are swimming as hard as you can and you're not moving. In fact, you're moving backwards. Um, Life-saving aside, if you're ever in a rip current, swim parallel to the beach. Don't fight it. You can't fight the ocean. Swim parallel. You'll get out of it. And then swim to the ocean when you can. 
that could save someone's life right there. But anyways, they've been rowing for four miles. They're losing ground. And then they see Jesus and they're terrified. Other accounts that could be other perspectives on this particular scene give us some idea of why they were terrified, but John doesn't. He just says they saw Jesus coming toward them and they were terrified. We don't know if they were terrified because they didn't recognize him or because they didn't expect him or because they did recognize him and they realized we're in the presence of something that is so powerful we could never imagine and we're terrified. Here's the point. Jesus could be near you in the midst of the storm and you don't even recognize him and you're still terrified. And note his response in verse 20. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus' response is not, you've already seen the other signs. You've seen the joy and the the help and the care that I provided by changing water into wine at Cana. You know I have power over nature to some degree. You've seen me heal the official son with just a word. You've seen me heal the man who was paralyzed for 38 years, showing that I am the healing water. Why are you doubting me? He does not say any of that. He doesn't shame them and say, just man up. You're fishermen for crying out loud. You're embarrassing your family. Stop it. He walks up to them in the midst of the storm, in the midst of their fear, and says, It is I. Don't be afraid. But it gets even deeper than that. Because the English translation is, it is I. Don't be afraid. But in the Greek in which John recorded this, the word for it is I is ego a me. I am. I am. Don't be afraid. This echoes Yahweh's response to Moses when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years and God says, Moses, go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person on earth who will eat you for lunch for even looking at him wrong. Go to him and say, let my people go. And Moses is terrified. Why should I? How can I? Who am I to do such a thing? And God's response is, I am. We'll be with you the God who is always present, who will never leave you or forsake you, who is with you in the midst of the storm, it is I who will be with you. And so here Jesus is in the storm, not saying, don't be afraid because I'm a pretty awesome teacher. Don't be afraid because I'm a pretty good junior level miracle worker that can draw a crowd with a good sermon. Don't be afraid Because the same power of God that can bring people out of slavery into liberation, that can feed people in the wilderness, lead them to the promised land, who can bring the Israelites safely through the Red Sea, that power is standing in front of you in the midst of the storm. And that's why you don't need to be afraid. Where do you need to remember right now in the midst of your storms? that Jesus comes to you and says, do not be afraid. I am with you. And I love their response. How do they respond? Next, they wanted to take him into the boat. 
Note, this, the wind is still blowing. It, it, the next line is, after they want to take him into the boat, immediately the storm begins to calm down. But the storm hasn't calmed down yet. We read this whole passage in about 45 seconds. It took a long time probably to get to this point. So all they know is the wind is coming, the waves are crashing, I'm terrified, but no matter what happens, I want him in my boat. It's a way of saying no matter what happens, I want to unite my life to his. No matter what happens, I can trust him. As my dear friend says, I want to hitch my horse to his. We're going the same way, same direction, together, no matter what happens. I want Jesus as close as possible. What does it look like for you to allow Jesus into your boat, into this particular season of your life, with all the details? Now, that's how the disciples respond, but the next part is about the crowd, the larger crowd. And I just want to point out a couple things about this crowd. First, it mentions three times that they saw something. Verse 22, they got to the other side of the sea, they saw there had only been one boat. Then they saw Jesus had not gotten into the boat. Verse 24, the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there. What's the point? These people were alert and awake. They were looking they were observing, they were being intentional, they were looking for Jesus. The wild thing about this life is there are so many bright lights and flashy ads and all of these different things that you begin to see nothing. And Jesus comes to you and says, what are you focusing on? What are you looking for? What captivates your attention? Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a neat, like, after first quarter question at the uh, Super Bowl to your closest friend. Hey, what, what would you say captivates my attention? Like, I don't know, I'm trying to watch commercials. You're captivating my attention right now. But what captivates your attention? One friend used to say to me, Matt, whenever you're in a situation and your choices are see your problems as really big and God is really small, or see your problems as right-sized but God is really big, I am, all-powerful, Choose the second option because it's probably closer to reality. What would be different in the way that you view your storm right now? Not if you minimize it or ignore it, but if you say as big as this storm is, God's loving presence and power to save in my life is even bigger. So what do they do? The crowd came near and went looking for Jesus. Those are both actions. They came near, they moved themselves, they, they propelled themselves somewhere, and they went looking for Jesus. In other words, the spiritual life is active, not passive. It's intentional, not accidental. That's one of the roles of a good faith community, is to give you compasses and maps and company to move together as we would go looking for Jesus. That's why we have Sunday morning with word and sacrament and community together, community groups in the week, midweek prayer gathering, so that you have resources to go looking for Jesus. And I'll tell you this, I mean, this is why the church exists. If there are resources that you don't have right now that you feel like you need to go looking for Jesus more, there are questions that you want to ask, parts of the Bible you want to study, things you want to talk through in your life. I, as your pastor, am committed to you. I'm easy to get a hold of. This church is committed to being a resource for you. How are you opening your life to Jesus' presence, power, and love 
right now. And I want to point out that in both situations, whether we're focusing on the disciples in the boat or the crowd on the shore, it's always referred to as they and them. Don't miss this. It's always plural. As one friend says, Christianity is inherently plural. The spiritual formation discipline of our lives best operates when you're in the company of a trusted community. So yes, there are times when you pray alone and there are things that, are, you know, that you're sharing with God in a, on a personal note and all of that, of course. But the, the model, the paradigm for spiritual growth is communal development together. Which is why we have all those opportunities I just mentioned. And I love seeing that as we not only grow together, but then we realize we have a gift to offer to the watching world. So earlier this week, Steve and Isela were here and they had set up, they have professional video equipment. They, they do this for a living. They create amazing you know, video campaigns for different companies and, and organizations. We could not afford them, but we didn't have to. Because they said, we love our church. We want to bring our equipment, we want to bring our time, our talent, our ability, and help this church tell its story even better. The model is, I have a gift that I want to share with the world. I loved watching Jordan and Brian play music at Elisa's party yesterday as they're up on this porch playing for all these people on our street. And it was a picture of, we have the ability to add beauty to this world through music, and we're going to do it publicly. I love that Chemo does that whenever he gigs around town, that arts and creativity are not to just be hoarded in the church on Sunday morning. They're to be cultivated and shared with the world. One of my favorite texts I received yesterday was from Rita. Hey, I'm having porch coffee this morning. Here are the things that I've made, I've created, I've baked. I'm setting them out front and just opening my front porch to all our neighbors. Because A, if you ate all those yourself, it probably wouldn't be healthy. But B, you have a gift and you, say, you, you shared it with other people. Now, you might not be a videographer or a musician or be able to bake and open your porch very well. It might be the way you lead your team at work. Where people know, hey, my, this person will drive me, they will push me, they're, they're, they're not easy, but they care about me. They're not just using me to get something done, they actually want to see my life thrive and develop. Or in your family, when you realize that people are lining up like a familial civil war right now about pick whatever topic you want, and you can be someone, here's how you know that you're on the right track, when you begin to be someone that people from both sides can come to, to talk. This is hard stuff. And that might be an unrealistic step for right now for where you are or where your family is. But do you at least see the vision that you have something to offer this watching world? Now, what does this all point to? Remember, the signs all point to something else. Why should you trust Jesus in the midst of the storms in your life? Why should you believe that when he says, I am, and we all know that he's using the same words that Yahweh used to Moses, that he's not just a crazy person? or self-deluded, why should you trust him in the midst of the storm? What does this sign point to? Because later there will be a storm. As Jesus goes to Jerusalem and is hung on a cross, at the collusion of the religious authorities and an unjust political empire coming crashing down on him, and the sun refuses to shine. It is darkness. 
Jesus enters into the ultimate storm, not just of wind and waves, but of sin and death. And says, I will tell it to do its worst to me. I will allow it to break upon me like shipwreck rock, and it will not sink me. Because three days later in the resurrection, he shows. The final word on this world is not death, but life. It's not darkness, but light. The reality of this world is not that the lights just get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until ultimately it all fades into darkness. The ultimate reality of this world is a new creation breaking forth in the midst of the old. And so he says, behold, in the midst of your storms, it is me, and you can trust me. Let's follow him. Let's allow him into our boat. Let's follow him together. And as we do, we have something to offer to a watching world that is marked by storms and shipwrecks. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we consider the scripture, we pray that you would open our eyes to your grace. For the places of our lives that are marked by storms, even now, would you please be rescuing us? Would you give us clarity and intentionality today about what it means to move toward you, to go looking for you, to allow you into our boat, into our life? And may that actually bring us to deeper life. And for our neighbors and our friends and our family that feel like they're drowning, or at least taking on water, give us the courage and the eyes, the intentionality to move toward them as you move toward us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.